The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Good to be with you this morning. It is wonderful to get to worship with you all today, and I want to just take this moment to welcome each and every one of you in the name of Jesus. And specifically our visitors, as always, we are so, so grateful to have you here this morning. And it's actually a great Sunday to be visiting for two words, free lunch, which is going to be right across the parking lot. If you heard Monty's announcement, we've got our beginnings lunch that we have from time to time. And so if you are a visitor, if you are a new member, or just somebody who's kind of interested in checking things out around here, getting to know us, and hopefully giving us an opportunity to know you, I want to invite you to come to that beginnings lunch right across the parking lot in our north building right after service. I also want to give a little shout out to the youth who put on a fantastic cabaret last night. So much fun. So much talent in this group. They are raising money for a mission trip to Belgium this summer, and so they performed, and there was just tons and tons of talent all across the board. Amazing, amazing jobs. And we got to hear not just from the youth, but Colin and Megan, and we got to hear from Brad and Shelly. Man, Brad was hitting some notes that I don't think all our sopranos can hit. Around here, it was it was fantastic. So I hope you'll you'll consider uh, praying for them and maybe even supporting them financially as they go on this journey to Belgium this summer. It's going to be a great work for the kingdom of God. But we've got just four weeks left here in the Spirit Powered Church, and that lands us in Acts 21 this morning, verses 1 through 14. When we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kaz, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. When we found a ship bound for Phoenicia, we went on board and set sail. We came in sight of Cyprus, and leaving it on our left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, because the ship was to unload its cargo there. We looked up the disciples and stayed there for seven days. Through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we left and proceeded on our journey, and all of them, with wives and children, escorted us outside the city. There we knelt down on the beach and prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemy, and we greeted the believers and stayed with them for one day. The next day we left and came to Caesarea, and we went into the house of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. While we were staying there for several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us and took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands with it, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is the way the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, 
What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we remained silent except to say, the Lord's will be done. Let's pray. God in heaven, we do ask this morning that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we give thanks for your grace and we ask for the courage and the resolve to live into your will even when it means suffering and hardship. Help us to follow you, to follow Jesus Christ. God, I ask for the gift of preaching today. I ask for your Holy Spirit's illumination that we might hear your truth and respond. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. It's not an action movie until the hero's tied up. In a distant prison, an abandoned warehouse on some runaway transport. One of the most common action movie tropes is to take the hero and towards the end of the film, bind them up. Tie them up, chain them. And so they're not only literally chained and bound, but they're often figuratively bound as well, right? Between this villain and their mission to save the world, between their family and their work, their country and their life. Action movies tell us a lot about what it means to be bound and to bind. And likewise, the story of Paul in the book of Acts is a story that tells us about binding and being bound. Right? There are moments throughout the book of Acts where Paul is both literally bound, he is chained and imprisoned in Philippi, for instance, and there are times where he is also figuratively bound in bondage to sin and death and eventually a captive of the Holy Spirit. And I think for us to appreciate Acts 21 and this amazing prophetic kind of symbolic gesture, this guy who comes and says, Paul, if you go on to Jerusalem, this is what they're going to do to you. This is the suffering that awaits. I think to fully appreciate that, we need to retrace Paul's steps in Acts for a moment. We need to go back and walk with Paul through his story in Acts, particularly in light of what it means to be bound and to bind others. For instance, when Paul first comes on the scene, and Ben preached about this a couple months ago, his name is Saul, right? Saul of Tarsus. And the first time we see him, he is approving of the first Christian martyrdom, martyrdom of killing Stephen. And it's this Saul who is going around from house to house, Luke tells us, dragging people and imprisoning them. And so it's in Acts chapter 9 that Luke tells us, meanwhile Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. 
He actually uses similar language in Acts 22, which is right after our text this morning. He says, I persecuted this way up to the point of death by binding both men and women and putting them in prison. So this Greek group of words for binding, it's talking about fastening. It's talking about being tied together and also not just this literal fastening, being bound or chained, but also being figuratively bound or in bondage, say, having a bond with another person or being in bondage, being in slavery even. And when I think of bondage or slavery, my mind typically goes immediately to the transatlantic slave trade, right? From the 16th to the 19th centuries, 400 years of approximately 17 million black African men, women, and children being bound, captured, and put in these ships and carried across to the North, South America, and the Caribbean. And I think sometimes when we think of that transatlantic slave trade, we forget about the binding journey across the waters. We forget about the slave ships and the horrors of being chained within. As one author describes these terrible vessels, he says, bound together by twos and crammed tightly into the ship's holds, these human beings lay side by side in coffin-like spaces, fetid with mucus, vomit, blood, and human waste. The heat, paucity of breathable air and pestilence meant that many died below deck. The fate of those joined to the dying and dead was to have death chained to them until someone removed the dead body. We as humans have this horrific ability and propensity to bind one another, to capture, constrict, and control. And I think perhaps we have this propensity to bind one another because we ourselves have been bound to sin and death. We ourselves have been chained to sin, have been bound to the death-dealing forces in this world. And therefore, from that, we begin to chain one another. And actually, the Bible and the Christian tradition talks about sin and death in terms of chains, in terms of bondage. Hebrews will talk about this slavery of death, right? And, and Peter, actually, in Acts chapter 8, will tell Simon the sorcerer that he is a captive to sin, or he's in the bond of unrighteousness. And so when we look at Paul, and originally Saul, we see a man who is bound to death and therefore binding others. Paul is a man who is bound to death and binding. He is imprisoning and persecuting. He is chained to these death-dealing forces of the devil, of chaos and hatred and sin in the world. But as we know, Paul doesn't stay there. As we know, as Ben preached the conversion story of Paul, Paul doesn't stay in that bondage. He serves the God of Israel. 
The God who in Leviticus 26 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. That word for bars there belongs to that same word group for binding, for chains, for being captive. And so Paul encounters Jesus of Nazareth. Remember the story on the road to Damascus? He's headed to bind some Christians, and Jesus interrupts his life. Jesus says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The risen Jesus appears to him and frees Paul from his bondage. This marks the moment where Paul will begin to be converted from a vocation of binding others to being free. And yet, even in Paul's freedom, even in being freed from bondage, Paul actually becomes bonded in another way. Paul actually enters a different kind of bondage. If you remember Acts 20 last week, in that passage, there's this beautiful little moment where Paul tells the Ephesian elders, and now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem bound in the Spirit not knowing what shall befall me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Bound in the Spirit. The NRSV actually has Paul saying, a captive of the Spirit. A captive to the Spirit. So Paul has gone from a man who was bound to death and binding others to a man who is now bound to life and liberating. Paul is now an agent of freedom in the world. He was bound to death and binding, now he is bound to life and liberating because he is a captive of the Holy Spirit. But how can that be? How can being a captive of the Holy Spirit actually lead one to freedom? Right? Isn't that just trading one captivity for another? Isn't that actually just being in a different kind of bondage? And isn't that actually one of the secular critiques of Christianity, right? To say that, well, Christianity is just kind of a straitjacket. It's constricting, and what you need to do is just throw off those constraints in order to truly be free. Well, this gets at our definition of freedom, Right? What is freedom? And if you ask our culture, uh, we moderns, freedom for us is the throwing off of all restraints. Right? If there's an impediment in the way of me fulfilling a desire, I need to get rid of that impediment. I need to get rid of any strictures. Uh, to put it crudely, our, our view of freedom is a bit like just, I want to get what I want. Right? without something getting in the way. But that's problematic at times, isn't it? Right, because what happens when our wants or our desires are in competition with one another? Right, for instance, uh, Tim Keller uses this example. Imagine a 60-year-old man. We got some 60-year-old men here this morning, right? My dad's in his 60s. A 60-year-old man who wants to do two things in life. He has two great loves, spending time with his grandchildren 
and eating his favorite foods. Well, this 60-year-old man goes to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, if you don't stop eating your favorite foods, you are going to die. Maybe some of you have gotten that before, (laughs) I don't know. And he is now faced with a choice, right? Because his two great wants and two great freedoms have come into conflict with one another. He can either spend time with his grandchildren or he can continue eating delicious, amazing, fatty foods that will diminish and take away his time with his grandchildren. All right, so the question is not, how can this man be completely free? The question is, how can he find the truly liberating freedom? All right, how can he find truly liberating constraints in his life? And this gets at the Christian view of freedom. The Christian view of freedom, if you ask me, it's it's put really well and, and succinctly by David Bentley Hart. He says this. He says, we are free not because we can choose, but only when we have chosen well. We're free not because we can make a choice, because it's my choice, We're free when we choose well, right? We are free when we are most aligned with our life's founding purpose. We're free when we are most aligned with what we were originally created for. And what we've all been created for is communion with God and therefore communion with one another. So we are most free, true freedom is what we find, not just when we have a choice, but when we choose well, namely when we choose God, our very original creative purpose. And this is the kind of freedom that Paul has found in Christ. Paul has found true freedom not just the ridding of all restraints and impediments to his desires, Paul has found true freedom because he is a captive of the one who truly makes free. He has found true freedom because he is in bondage, he is a prisoner of Christ, as he will say in the New Testament. Paul has found true freedom by being bound to life And therefore, he is freed to liberate others. He's freed to go on this missionary journey to spread the gospel, to free people from bondage to sin and death, to free people from literal prisons, to free the jailers even. Paul is now bound to life in the spirit, and he is now a force of liberation in the world. True freedom is captivity to the spirit of Jesus Christ. But as we see in our text this morning, Acts 21, captivity to Christ can at times lead us to captivity on earth. Bondage to the Holy Spirit can at times lead us into earthly bondage and suffering. Acts 21.10, while we were staying there for several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. 
He came to us and took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands with it, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is the way the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart, for I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So Paul begins in the book of Acts, bound to death and binding others. He becomes bound to life and begins liberating others. And what Paul finds here is that being bound to the Spirit Life in the Spirit at times means being bound to Christ and therefore suffering in Christ. Paul has chosen well. He has chosen to follow Jesus Christ, but that choice at times will lead Paul, will lead us into moments of hardship and hurt and suffering. And so Paul is headed to Jerusalem. He's headed to Jerusalem, which is a place where the prophets suffer. He's headed to Jerusalem, a place that is resisting the Spirit. And Jerusalem is the place where his Savior was killed. Paul is following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. And he is going to suffer because his liberating bondage to the Spirit will place him in the pathway of pain. Christianity has actually been growing in China, but amidst this immense growth in China, there's also been a great, great persecution by the Chinese government, Uh, probably the greatest religious persecution since the days of Chairman Mao in that country. And so, in the midst of all this persecution, it doesn't appear that the Chinese government necessarily wants to destroy Christianity so much as to control and domesticate it into something that can just serve its bidding. And amidst this binding of Christians in the country, this constricting figuratively, they have also had literal constricting and binding in the country of China. Pastor Wang Yi and his wife and a hundred members of their congregation in December were taken captive or imprisoned by the government in the country of China. And it was not too long after this that most of the hundred members that were taken captive were set free only to go back and lose their jobs, lose their dwellings, have their bank accounts frozen because of their membership in this church. And yet still, Pastor Wong, his wife, and 11 others remain, even as we speak this morning, imprisoned in chains, in prison in China. You see, Pastor Wang Yi was a very prominent pastor in China and often at times critical of the government. 
In fact, exactly three months before they were imprisoned, he preached a remarkable sermon, a sermon in which, in no uncertain terms, he called into question the actions of the Chinese government, called into question the sins of even their president, and he said this in that sermon, talking about the Chinese government and the president, he said, if we do not experience persecution, how can we give them the grace of the gospel? What are the means of giving them this gospel grace? What means did Jesus use to give us grace? He did it through Gethsemane. He did it through the cross of Golgotha. What means must the Chinese church today use to give the grace of the gospel to a society that doesn't know the gospel, that resists and persecutes the church of the Lord? We must walk the path of the cross. We must boldly preach the way of the kingdom of God, and we must pay the price for doing this. Three months after that sermon, he and his wife and a hundred members of that congregation were in chains. And they remain in chains, 13 of them, even as we speak, because of the way he spoke against the principalities and powers in China. And the reason that Pastor Wang Yi and his wife and those congregants and the reason that the Apostle Paul can perform seemingly superhuman acts of suffering and faithfulness is not because they possess some superhuman ability that you or I could never attain to. The reason they can do that is simply because they are captives of the Holy Spirit. They have chosen a truly liberating freedom. They have chosen the freedom of Jesus Christ. And once you've chosen the freedom of Jesus Christ, you can't give up that everlasting freedom for any kind of earthly freedom or bliss. Once you've chosen the true everlasting freedom of Jesus Christ, you would sacrifice everything, no gain in the world, to maintain that freedom by the power of God's grace. And so their choice, their choosing well to follow Jesus Christ has led them to a time of hardship, a time of persecution and suffering but this is the way you walk with Jesus in the world. At times we must follow Jesus down the Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrow. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses eight and nine, he says, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David, that is my gospel for which I suffer hardship, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained. The word of God is not chained because the word of God is true freedom. 
the word of God, comes from the God who is truly free and makes us free. Comes from the God who gives us freedom even when it leads us to suffering. Church, may we stand and praise that God as we follow him in his freedom this morning.